Um, happy Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Jesus is alive. Over 2,000 years ago, he was crucified on a cross. He came down to this earth, as the scripture says, to save sinners. But yet the scripture makes it absolutely clear that he is alive. He is not a dead savior. He is not a historical savior. He is a right now savior. In the message of Resurrection Sunday is the most important message of the church. The Apostle Paul, in the passage that we will read together and study from together, agreed that the message of Resurrection Sunday is of first importance. If you would open your Bibles, or it's going to be on the screen, we will read the passage for this morning. First Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast or hold on to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse three, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I hear you, Paul. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
Let's say a quick prayer before we look together at God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, my prayer in my heart is that whoever it is that you desire to speak to, to give a specific word, that you would prepare their hearts and their minds, give them understanding, give them a heart to receive, and Lord, allow them to know that they can have eternal life. And Lord, for those that have the confidence of the resurrection, they understand that you died for their sins. They accepted that it is the message in which they stand. May you help us remember to keep the main thing the main thing. And that our focus and our energy, Lord, is on you as our Savior and what it is that you would have us to do for your glory to reach others for you. May you give a word and an encouragement to everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Corinthians, when the apostle wrote this book, he was motivated by a lot of church problems. It was church politics problems. It was moral problems. There were folks in the church, leaders in the church, that were not conducting themselves like Christians. There was sexual immorality. There was people hanging out with other folks' wives. The church politics came in when although they had a lot of moral issues, they still focused on having church, in quotes. They were debating about tongues and who had the most gifts. And their focus was on having church, and Paul said that they even got arrogant. So arrogant that they didn't even focus on dealing with the issues of the church leaders, they were more focused on who's the best. Who's the best preacher? Who's the best teacher? Is it Paul? Is it Apollos? Who has the most gifts? And things were, as they say in the old church, out of order. In 1 Corinthians 14, a little bit of context. Verse 23, Paul says to them, trying to teach them about order in the church and dealing with this church political issue as it relates to spiritual gifts. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together, and they were in homes and houses at that time, and all speak in tongues, and a visitor or an outsider or unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are out of your mind? If a visitor comes in and they have no idea what church is all about and everybody's speaking in an unknown language, will they not be confused? But what y'all are doing is you all are making it about you. 
Now, maybe that wasn't your intent when you begin, but things have gotten out of order. And when people come in to visit, they just think y'all a bunch of crazy folks because they don't get it. He says, but if all prophesy, and notice he says, if all prophesy, putting the emphasis on all the people of God, not just one prophet getting all the glory. That if God moves on folks in the church and they are filled with the spirit and they have a word from the Lord and they're hanging out with people and there's a message of prophecy. And an unbeliever or an outsider enters and he is convicted because of that prophecy. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Paul's whole argument in this context, in this church situation, is that there needs to be order. And in verse 40, before he goes to his point in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, but all things should be done decently and in order. Then he begins to continue teaching in, in the context of order. He teaches them about the most important thing that they should be focused on. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. He says, I want to remind you, brothers. You know, when you've been in the church a long time, Sometimes you forget the main thing. When you've been conditioned by church culture, when there's traditions that just kind of take over the meaning of church, sometimes Christians forget the main thing. He says, I need to remind you, you all of something, my brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you. And not only was it the gospel I preached to you, but you understood and you received it at that time. And it is the main thing that you stand upon, the gospel in which you stand. It's the foundation of your faith, the main focus. And most of you all here, or many of you all, as I look around, you understand the term good news. It is interesting and it is amazing and awesome that the description of what God wants you to know and wants people to know, it's called good news. You don't have to go too far and look on Twitter and social media in the news, or just walk outside your house, and for some of us, right in our own house, that it's a lot of negative stuff going on. A lot of bad news. And it was a lot of bad news going on at that, that time. But Paul says that the word of God that I gave to you is good. Somebody here this morning, all of us, we need some good news. Because see, 
we can forget the whole good news that God is trying to help us understand in which we stand. He says, it's not only the message that I gave to you in which you stand, but it's the message by which you are being saved. Why does he have to say that? Shouldn't that be obvious? The reason why he has to say that is the whole context of why he wrote the book. Because they started to focus on other stuff. Outward appearance stuff. Stuff that can make you look good on the outside, but leave you empty on the inside when nobody's watching. Stuff that'll get you through that day, but won't get you through your week. They was having a good old time, but when they left the church, they weren't living it. Because they were focused on the wrong things. He says, this is the word I preach to you. And unless you believed in vain, unless it's not genuine, in authenticity and consistency and genuine in the Christian walk, is consistently the challenge. Not only in the scripture, the apostles, our Lord Jesus Christ warned us of this, that this life will cause you trouble and there will be temptations to walk away from the good news. But he says the reason why you don't want it to be in vain is because it's the reason why you're being saved. This good news. Your life your eternal life here this morning depends upon it. Then he hits them with the gospel message. If you really want to know, and if you care, what is church really about? I know we got a lot of folks that visit on Easter Sunday. Praise God, because this is when the preachers get excited because we might not see you again. So we have to make sure we make this one count. Okay? Because your life depends upon it. It ain't important that you leave there and saying, oh, them folks was cool. What's important is what God has to say to you regarding not only this life, but your eternal destiny. He says, I delivered unto you, verse 3, first important. Somebody say first. And he said, the preacher ain't exempt. He says, of what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Let's just stop right there. Sin is not a cultural popular word today. But all the grown folks here and even the kids can identify it if we give them a little bit of a, a illustration or context or just give them some comparisons. Somebody abuses you, bullies you. That's evidence. Sin. 
You hurt someone. Someone hurts you. What the Bible reveals is that there is a condition, there's something going on in the world that's just not right. And everybody's trying to fix it, but nobody can. See, the Bible calls that sin. The Bible reveals that there is a condition in mankind, man and womankind, that the Bible is trying to reveal, to open our eyes, to allow us to see that all that hurt and pain, all that death that you see going on, it was not meant to be, and it really, even though it seems natural to us now, it is not natural. It was not what God intended. You know, we call it human nature. But when a father leaves his family for another woman, when a woman abandons her children, when you are sexually abused as a child and it wasn't your fault and you don't understand why somebody would do that. When we grow up in a community where folks are killing each other and nobody can fix it, that's evidence that something ain't right. A lot of us have been to funerals. Went to a funeral not too long ago, um, great man of God, funeral that we went to. And we're walking down the line, me and my kids, we go to the funeral and we come upon the casket. And when you look into the casket and you see the lifeless body, I don't know if you've ever did this, but time to time you just sit there and you look and you're like, that is just so bizarre. That person was just alive. And when you really process it, it just don't seem right. And one of my daughters, sometimes when you're young, you just got wisdom. You Stuff just come out of you. You'd be like, where'd that come from? Because you get older, that stuff starts going away. You say something smart, you'd be like, man, that was good. But my daughter said something to me that just kind of struck me. She says, you know, when I was looking, I, I just thought to myself, that's unnatural. And I thought, you know what? It is. But when we don't hear messages like this, when we don't process the meaning of life and death and we're just living life and we don't think about it, and what's happening, people die so much every day, we become desensitized. And we just think death is just natural. But what the Bible tries to reveal, what God tries to reveal to you is that there's something wrong with the world, there's something wrong with your family, there's something wrong with you. And that's the point of the gospel, not to debate. Not all of these debates about big theological concepts. 
Jesus came to reveal that there is a condition and there's something wrong with you. And if you get caught up in debates, you will miss the condition of your own sin that you have to deal with and that your creator is trying to get you to understand that when you stand before him, that has to be dealt with. Christ died for our sins. See, there's a couple things that our Lord Jesus and through his apostle wants to reveal. First of all, who died? The who. And then the why. The fact that Christ died, the creator, that God sent his only son. The word became flesh, John says, and hung out among us. That's the who. That's the amazing part that God so loved you, as my brother was saying early, that he knows you have a problem in a condition, but he wants to take care of it for you. And then it's the why. Christ died for our sins. We can't skip that. You get so caught up in church politics that we forget that people are dying and they have a sin condition. Romans 5.12 says it like that, this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. There's the evidence that something is happening that's not natural, not right, because all sin. Another illustration I want to give you, I use my children a lot. Give me y'all, shout out to y'all. Whenever I set a standard for my home when my children were little, a rule, sometimes it was simple, it was clear. Like parents, you tell them it's clear as day, ain't no confusion. You supposed to be in the house at nine, you got to be in the house at nine, I told you to be in the house at nine. Right? Ain't no confusion. Oh, can I come to the house at 10 because all my friends do it? As soon as you get your own crib, yes. Right? No confusion. Be in the house at 9. But lo and behold, not surprising, they come rolling in after my standard. Okay, you do it once. You come rolling in after my standard. I'm, I love you. You my child. Cool. Like, all right. Like, you came in, like, at 10 o'clock. I know I said 9. You, I, I even established what the consequence is going to be. But just don't do it again. Cool, right? Love you. Right? Cool. You think kindness would motivate them to do better. Second, third time, okay, I'm giving you a punishment, but I ain't really giving you the punishment I said I was going to give you because you're my child. I love you. Parents, do we want to punish them? No. It's the last thing you want to do because you feel so bad because that's, that's, that's yours. Second, third time, you come after my standard that I set, 
and I don't give you the full consequence, I'm getting a little irritated, but I'm trying to show love and grace. Ooh, God teach us a lot of things through our kids. One time God said, God, I felt it in my soul when I was um, getting on my kids and, the, and it came to my soul. That's just how you do me. Came to my soul talking about me and God. But then after I finally give them the consequence of them breaking my standard, the full consequence that we agreed upon, now they mad. As the kids say today, in their feelings. Now, why are you mad when you know the standard? Well, okay, it was because my friends get to stay out and you mistreating me. Okay. Let, let's just get something straight. See, I love you. I can't explain all the reasons and have a debate with you of why I need you in at nine. One day when you own stuff and you have your own kid, you'll get it. But right now, I just need you to be in at nine. It ain't because I'm trying to hurt you. It's because I love you. I can't really focus on all those other kids. I just need you in at nine. Come on now. But you take my standard as if it's something that is against you. As if I don't love you. As if I'm treating you unfairly. That's because you don't, because you're so young and you're selfish, you don't own anything, you don't understand love yet. The biblical definition of sin, by biblical definitions, there's two, it's a two-sided coin. One definition of sin is something called, or a word called transgressions. It's translated the word transgressions in Hebrew and Greek, all the same, from the Bible. In the Old Testament, a lot of it written in Hebrew, transgression, sin, same translation, Greek, New Testament, same, same translation, transgression. Transgression basically means that you are out of bounds. There's a standard that you are outside of. You are not working within the standard. You are out of bounds. I gave this sports illustration before. You playing ball, you step out of bounds. That's out of bounds. That's transgression. You can't do that. That's one side of sin. It's God saying, I got a standard and you can't go out of bounds. Is it because I'm trying to keep something from you because I don't love you? No, it is exactly because I love you that I need to keep you in bounds. The other side of sin is translated or another different word used for it is missing the mark. It is a target that you're trying to hit, but you miss that target. I'm a basketball coach, so I try to teach my kids how to pass on time on target, hit the target, hit the hands. Or when they're shooting, you train them to hit the target. That's how you can be accurate. If you miss the target, ain't no points for it. You don't get points for almost hitting the target. When God is establishing sin, most of you know this, but for those that don't, when you stand before God, it's going to be the standard he set, not your neighbor. You may say, I didn't murder, and I'm going to stand before God, and I'm good. But in Romans 3.23, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of God's 
glory slash standard. It ain't just getting real close to making the basket. You have to hit the target. And guess who does it? Nobody. So what God is doing is he's revealing that you and I have a condition. Kids. Reason why your parents look at you and ask, why did you do what you do? And you just say, I don't know. I, I just had to steal those cookies from the cookie jar. It's because naturally there is something in us as a child where right then and there looking at the child, you see that they don't have to talk, be taught to sin. They were born into it. They are born missing the mark. But the standards that said that they really need to care about is not just your standard. It is God's standard. So when the Bible says Christ died for our sins, that's a huge statement. So let's unpack that a little bit. The dying for our sins. There's three focuses I want you to leave here with, and we're not going to be able to dig deep into them, but I pray that the Lord put them, puts these points on your hearts and your minds and that you leave saying, the pastor gave me points to think about instead of going out saying, what was his point? When Christ died for our sins, there was three things. There's three phrases and words that some of the congregation have heard me say before, but I want you to leave with so that you can understand or begin to understand what that means and what he did. There's the who, the God of the universe, loving you, set the standard, and then there's the why. And this is all out of love from the Lord. Number one, Christ died for your sins because he wants to save you from the penalty of that sin. Just like as a parent, you set a rules and standards and there's consequences. The Bible says that when you stand before God, if your sin is not dealt with, that there will be a penalty. But Jesus doesn't want that for you. The scripture says God didn't, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save them. But you have to tell people the truth. You don't want to punish your kids. You're trying to keep it real with them because you love them. So there's the penalty of sin. So if you have not gotten this taken care of, this is of first importance. If you do not know that you, your relationship with right with God and the penalty of your sin has been dealt with, if you are not confident in that, you must get this right. The second thing that Jesus does for us it helps us overcome the power of sin. If you've been a Christian, once you become a Christian and you commit your life to Christ, you know this better than anybody. Because before you was in the church, you didn't even care about trying to get rid of sin. You just did what you're going to do. And if you had to snap on somebody, you're going to snap on them. And if you had to hit somebody in the mouth, you was going to hit somebody in the mouth. And if, you, and if you had to, you know, be with that person tonight, you're just going to do what you're going to do. And you didn't really care what nobody thinks. You had a little bit of conscience, but not that much. 
Uh-uh-uh, right? <laughs> Stay out of my business is our attitude. But when you give your life to Christ, and the Bible says that God's presence is in your soul, then you have this super conscious. You are aware, you have an intimate, intimate awareness of sin, and what happens is now you're struggling, you want to do right, as Paul says in Romans 7, but you can't do right. And so that's why Jesus understands this, like once you get saved, heaven is secure, but now you have to live for Christ and you have to try to do right by him and you struggle. And so Christ's death and resurrection and sending his spirit to be in you helps you with the power of sin. Addictions. Constantly getting angry. Can't help myself. Romans 7, go to that real quick, 15, Paul puts it like this. I have no idea, I do not understand my own actions. Kids, we with you. When you tell your mom and daddy, I don't know why I did that, I just had a moment of confusion. Knew you was going to get me, knew I was going to get punished, but I just did it. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate, that's what I do. Can I get a witness? Now, if I do what I don't want, I agree with God's law. I agree with you, mama and daddy. You're right. I should have been at nine. I agree with the standard. That is good. So the law ain't the problem. The rules ain't the problem. I'm the problem. Some folks don't admit that, though. That's, the, that, that's, that's part of the problem. See, if you're here today and you know that you have sin, but you're not acknowledging it, you're suppressing it, you're lying about it, God can't work with you there because you ain't ready. He says, so it's no longer I that do it, but it's sin, singular, a presence that's in me that dwells within me. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, he's speaking, we believe as a Christian, my flesh. For I have a desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Can I get a witness? See, this is why you got to shout when you think about Christ dying for your sins. Because if Christ didn't die for our sins, man, woo, even knowing Christ, we can't do right. God knew when he saved you, you still would struggle. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I. It ain't the devil that made me do it, but it's sin. Not making excuses because it's in me. I'm the problem. So I find there to be a law that when I want to do right, the angel's on one shoulder. The devil on the other shoulder, evil right there with me saying, come on now, you might as well just go. You went this far, you might as well just keep going. Christ died for our sins, the penalty of sin. Here's what the Bible says is going to happen in Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 real quick. Please hear me if this is for you. Now, we know 
that what the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become accountable to God. For by the works of the law, it ain't by good works that you stand right before God. No human being, no one will be justified in his sight because through the law comes the knowledge that you ain't right. Somebody say, I ain't right. But somebody say, God loves me. See, when you acknowledge that you ain't right and you understand that when you stand before God, there's going to be an accountability, then you understand the good news. Because you ain't right, but there's someone who actually paid the consequence for his own standard. What you deserve, God loved you so much, he says, I'm going to take on to send my son and take on what they deserve. And when he's hanging on the cross and the God of the universe is looking at his son, he turns his face away from sin, from the sin on his son, and he forsakes his own son for you. And Jesus stretched out, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he do that for you? The cross is not just about Jesus dying, but it's about him dealing with sin. Jesus was crucified. He didn't just die. It was a crucifixion. Crucifixions are for criminals. The analogy, God designed it. It was all designed as a picture for the whole world to see. Is that Jesus died as a criminal because everybody around him deserved that death. But he took it on. And he was the only one. He was the Lamb of God. The only one that can take away the sin of the world because he's the only acceptable sacrifice that God will accept. But the problem is a pardon rejected is no pardon at all. If the government gives you a pardon and you reject it, nothing you can do about it. Jesus has given you a pardon for the penalty of sin through his son. Will you accept it this morning? You do not know our Lord Jesus Christ. He cares about the penalty that will happen one day. We all will stand before God and give an account for our life. You will be that body, that lifeless body standing there looking unnatural. But your soul will live on and one day you will stand before him. And this is a message of love this morning because God gave a standard. And he gave me the responsibility and all of us Christians to tell you about this so that when you stand before him, the penalty of sin can be dealt with. And then if you're a Christian here this morning, the power of sin in your life, that's why Paul says you need to focus on Christ dying for sin in the crucifixion in the cross and focus on Christ because you can have outward appearances and do all of that stuff, but not really be dealing with your sin. Some of you are broken here this morning, and the power of sin is beating you down. But if you make the main thing the main thing, and we get back to the crucifixion, if you let Christ meet you at the cross, he can heal you. He will deliver you. I'm a living witness. Brother just said to me this morning, somebody told me about your background. I didn't even see it. I couldn't believe it. And all I can say to him is, man, that's God. But now I'm going to say to you, my brother, that's the cross. Because how messed up I was, as Paul says, um, as we're ending off. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. 
he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Why? I'm unworthy because I actually persecuted the church. Y'all don't even know me before I was writing to y'all and being a preacher. I ain't judging you. I can't even judge. I'm, I was worse than y'all. I'm just trying to help you. He says, I persecuted the church. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Why? Because I'm committing my life to Christ. See, right now, some Christians, we're in here. The power of sin is beating us down because we're trying to do it on our own. We're busy doing church work when we need to get to the cross. Need to get before the feet of Jesus, call on his name, and let him deliver us. And then finally, the presence of sin. This is the best good, good news. Some of you already know these, verse, these verses, but Revelations 21.4. Can you believe this? Just read, just look at that. Come on now. This is even hard to comprehend. Is this real? But when you really think about it, get a little psychological on you. When you look at the messed upness of the world, when you look at how we hurt each other, how we hurt one another, somebody just, as soon as church is over, and I know somebody's going to get an attitude about something because that's just sin in us. But wouldn't, won't it be nice, no more tears, death no more, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain? Like a good parent, this is what God wants for you. He set boundaries. He wants you to not have pain. We tell you to come in early because we know you're going to get hurt. We tell you to get good grades at school because it's for your own good. God is telling you, I've sent my son, not so people can debate and, and say, oh, you believe in this God and I believe in that God. God is saying the devil is getting you focused on the wrong things. Jesus came to save you from your sins. And if you reject that, you reject the only way to salvation in heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Do not miss an opportunity to have that future. If you accept Christ today, you're still going to have pain and all of that going through this life. Sin is still going to be on you. You're going to struggle. But one thing for sure is you have hope, the only hope beyond the messed upness of this world. The author, Paul, finished it like this to the point of the resurrection in the future. He says Christ was buried, verse 4, and he died and we watched him die just like a human being. When the Romans crucified you, it was a professional death. They put you in the grave. They put Roman soldiers around the grave to make sure you dead. They put the spear in his side that the water would come out as evidence. He's dead. Punctured his lungs, water came out. He was dead. But Paul goes on to give a evidence-based argument for the rest of his message. He ain't just making this a pie in the sky. He's saying it wasn't just a spiritual reality, but folks saw him. Over 1,500 copies of the Bible. Authentic copies more than any other books on the planet. He says he died, and then he was raised 
on the third day. He rose from the dead, and it was according to the scriptures. It was prophesied. <laughs> then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive today. This message that you're hearing this morning is no fake news. It's no religious deception. This is the answer to why is so much messed up and sin in the world because there's sin. Why is there so much pain and hurt kids? Why is there so much going on, families? Because there's something not right. And God loves you. He wants to deal with the penalty for sin, the power of sin in your life, and one day even the very presence of sin. May the Lord put on your heart and your soul to commit to him. Jesus. Our God is a resurrecting God. It don't matter what's dead in your life. He can bring it to life. Dead dreams, dead end jobs, dead relationships, dead life situation. He gives new life, new direction, and new hope. Our prayer at Radius Church is that you would continue to join us and join our family so that God can resurrect your life. Have a great day.